Hello and welcome to Dauntless Daughters Femme d'Audace. I'm your host, Julia Lemire Cassette. Welcome back, everyone, or welcome to those who are here for the first time. Um, Dauntless Daughters, what is it? It is a bilingual content project uh, where we create a bunch of content for women, by women, working for women as well. So basically, um, the idea behind this project is that I find that though being a woman in this day and age can still be full of difficulties and trials, we have the beautiful luck, I guess, of being part of a global community that is so full of inspiring and um, creative and beautiful women who uh, sometimes thrive in spite of their conditions. And a lot of them are a whole lot more accessible than we would think. So I wanted to meet up with some of these women and share their stories with you guys. And because I'm a bilingual Quebecois woman, um, when I started making the list of the girls that I wanted to talk to, or the women rather, that I wanted to talk to, uh, I quickly realized that I couldn't really stick to only one language because it's just not who I am and it's not who my community is. And I didn't want to ever have to either uh, silence some voices or to force people to come on the show and uh, try and tell their stories in a language that's not the one that they're most comfortable in. And since what I really wanted to do was to share authentic stories, I decided that we were going to do it in the language of choice of the people that I will be interviewing throughout. Since not only do I believe that everybody deserves a platform to tell their story, I also believe that everybody deserves to have access to these stories. I took it upon myself to, once the episode is recorded and edited, I write up an article that kind of resumes the things that we talked about during the interview with like maybe a specific focus on the bigger topics. So once I do that, I actually translate the article into the other language. So for example, like today, the interview is in English, but on my website, you will find an article in French that goes over the topics as well. So this way, at least in French and English, everything is pretty accessible. So you'll be able to find these articles on my website, julialemircassette.com, and on the Dauntless Daughters page, you will have access to articles in both languages for every single one of the interviews that I will carry here. Because I also want to put my money where my mouth is, I think that yes, content and stories can really help inspire people and help move people. But I also think that we should have access to as many resources as we can. And there are so many resources available out there. So at this point in time, what I'm doing is in each episode, I find a few different types of resources that I can share with you guys that have to do with the topics that we talk about in this episode. So Today, we are talking with Margot Meany, who is a wonderful creator of fun things. She does dark arts and crafts, and she has her own shop called Familiar Spirit, and we'll talk about it in the episode. I was really excited to talk to her for this um, project because she is just such an inspiring woman, and her story is so very eclectic and she's been all over the place and she's had so many different jobs. And one of the things that really stands out about her is that she is amazing at following her gut feeling and leaning into all of those quirky qualities that make her who she is and to use them to her advantage to 
you know, find happiness and success in a world that typically really wants us to fit into a very specific mold. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the multiple jobs that she's had, the multiple businesses that she's tried to start, the more successful blog and now store that she owns. And, um, We're also going to touch on things like body image, body positivity, because um, as you'll find out, her blog included a whole dimension on plus size fashion and how that came to be at a time where the whole fat liberation movement hadn't really begun yet. So she really created a space for a voice that was really her own, following her instincts, following her desires, her passions. And it's just someone who's absolutely extraordinary. So in regards to what we talk about in this episode, there are a couple of uh, resources that I wanted to share. Margot has incredible grit and she's got like so much experience that she was able to develop um, through a variety of jobs. And they've allowed her to hone her skills in a lot of different ways that have become super useful to her um, when it came to building her blog empire and her business. But that's not always the case. So I thought it would be interesting to give you guys a couple of places you can go look if you are yourself a female entrepreneur or you have a business idea and you don't necessarily know how to take it from idea to reality. So here in Montreal, there is something called Yes Montreal. So it's Yes Employment and Entrepreneurship. And they have a specific program for women called Elevate Women Entrepreneurs. And what it is, it's an initiative, sorry, that aims to empower women in Quebec's entrepreneurial ecosystem. And they offer a range of like actionable support tools and resources to help women successfully launch and grow their businesses. So that's Elevate, E-L-L-E-V-A-T-E. And you can find them at yesmontreal.ca. And you should go check it out. Uh, There's a lot of like uh, programs that you can go to. Um, There's a lot of uh, free online information sessions and introductory workshops that are taking place in like the following months. So if this speaks to you, by all means, go check it out. Otherwise, I want to tell you about Delia. So that's D-E-L-I-A. And it's part of the NCFDCs. Uh, And what it is, it's a fund that provides affordable up to $15,000 loans to qualifying women-owned businesses across Canada. It started in Ontario. It is now available throughout Canada. And um, so their goal is really to ensure that like um, it, Delia is a revolving and evergreen microloan fund for all Canadian women entrepreneurs for startup stabilization and expansion. So very interesting. You can find them at ncfdc.ca slash Delia. And finally, there's one more thing I want to touch on. And it's the fact that throughout this episode, we do talk a lot about body image. Um, and of course we go about a bit of a specific experience. It's our true lives, Marco's life, her blog, all of that. And I just want to acknowledge the fact that it doesn't necessarily represent everyone's experience, whether whatever the size of your body, it might not really, it might not really accurately represent you. So, um, I do think it's important also to note that body image is a very complex issue and that, um, it can in certain cases result in mental health issues as well. And I want to acknowledge the fact that we described a specific experience that is true to one person. It's not necessarily what you're experiencing. And if you or someone you know is having trouble with their body image, whether that goes into anxiety or food um, issues like, uh, sorry, eating disorders or anything like that, um, 
there are resources out there. It's very specific to each person. So I think maybe a good way for you to go about in Quebec anyways, is to call into 811 um, and see with a professional there, what kind of resources could really help you. So without further ado, here we go. Dauntless daughter, the wonderful Margot Meany. So hello, the lovely Margot. Thank you for joining me on Dauntless Daughters today. Thank you for inviting me. Um, so I would have liked to kind of start off with just maybe you telling us a little bit about like your background, where you grew up and like, obviously we're in Montreal now, but you haven't always been in Montreal. Yeah. So what brought you out here and just kind of like, let everyone know who Margot is. Um, well, I've kind of, uh, I traversed I'm from Alberta and, you know, Calgary and surrounding area. I kind of swapped between um, small town living out there and living in the city, like swapping on weekends with parents. Uh, when I was a kid, it was in Calgary. And then as I was a teenager, I moved out to the country and then would visit Calgary all the time. And I lived in Calgary for a couple of years after I graduated and I absolutely despised it. Why? Um, <laughs> what did you it, not like? It's, well, you know, it's a really conservative place. And I know that it's grown a lot since I moved away because that was um, 20 years ago <laughs> now or more. So, uh, but yeah, it was just like very conservative and I was a very punk rock kind of goth weirdo and I was just tired of like fending people off all the time being like you know if you had normal colored hair or whatever you'd be really pretty and it's like fuck off <laughs> and I hope swearing's okay I can't. yeah oh it is oh it is yeah. we're uh, okay yeah like this is meant to be authentic right? yes so I'm here to take you as you are excellent I, I swear myself I get yeah. that though and I feel like man anywhere you're gonna be that's gonna allow itself commentary on your appearance is just so yeah it was a no. lot of stuff, the politics, and, you know, it's very cold there. And I know it's cold here, um, but it's very cold. The altitude, the dryness, like, I would get chronic nosebleeds. And, like, I just had, like, some health issues that I truly believe were coming from the altitude there. Calgary-related issues. So, um, yeah, I had a boyfriend. We were, I was working at a coffee shop, and I had a boyfriend. And he's like, hey, you want to go to Vancouver between Calgary and New Year's? And I'm like, yeah, sure. But, like, how I had grown up people always made plans but never came through with plans so mm -hmm. i'm just like sure agreeing to it all blase and he's just like okay so i picked us, us tickets to go and i was like oh we're doing this oh we're doing this <laughs> i'm like oh okay so yeah we went out to vancouver and we stayed with his brother and his girlfriend for like a week and it was like a terrible cold time in Alberta at that time. And it was beautiful and lush and green. And it had like this misty rain that was happening mm -hmm. that you just walked through and it was just like dewy. And I'm, I was super enchanted. And I was like, like, I need to move here. And my boyfriend at the time was like, do you like it? And I'm like, I love it. And he's like, I want to move here too. And yeah, that basically became our mission statement as a couple is get to Vancouver. And so <laughs> it took us like two years nice. to save up and make everything happen. And uh, yeah, he got a job. He actually, interesting, what got us out there is he was an archaeology student and he got a job excavating the Picton pig farm, which was like the murder guy, right? Yeah. So it was like, whoa, it was uh, pretty intense. And so he, he was working, it was like 
conveyor belts of dirt that they were going through. But he couldn't really talk about it other than that. Being they a murder would, and an investigation yeah. and all that, I'd assume. But uh, all he would really talk about is how dizzy they all get from staring at the conveyor belt all the time. Is that like the second they go to step away, almost all the time they just fall backwards into the mud because the conveyor belt moving all the time. That's and so, so funny. I yeah. can totally imagine, too. You were right. saying it and I was like imagining myself watching a conveyor belt yeah. go round and round. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's going to be, yeah, just, you don't want to go into work hungover, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's actually what afforded us to finally move because it was a good wage. And so I guess they have to pay you well when they put you on a murder scene, right? Yeah. So he was getting paid pretty well in that. And we had been saving up. And so that summer he went out ahead of me and then I packed up the apartment and then I moved out. And then we went back a couple months later to grab all of our stuff and drive a van back from Calgary with all of our earthly possessions and our cats and everything. And uh, yeah, and then we set up in Vancouver and we were there for a while. That boyfriend uh, hilariously left to go teach English or English in Korea after less than a year of living in Vancouver. Okay. <laughs> he had an itch that uh, yeah, developed. He just, he's a wanderer kind of person. And yeah, we had finally gotten there and he's like, I think I'm going to go do this. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, all right then. So I was in Vancouver <laughs> by myself, but we had made like a little friend base there. And um, yeah, one of my friends happened to be somebody that I hooked up with and, and it was supposed to be a fling and he ended up being my forever husband. So uh, that's so lovely. So Isn't that often? That is too. where uh, Mr. Meany entered the the world and the picture. And yeah, we've been together for a long, long time. And through that, we were in Vancouver for um, a lot of like 16, 17 years, at least. He was there two years before me. But yeah, through that time, I had a lot of jobs and did a lot of different things. And Vancouver became like really unaffordable post-Olympics. Mm-hmm. And right. um, just the vibe of the city changed. Like when we moved there, it was like this cool indie rock kind of place that like all of these like dives were happening and shows. And it was like, it was super fun. And after the Olympics happened, everything got like bougied up and boutiqued where things were getting shut down and then reopened to be like a boutique dive bar so it's like okay so it's like all clean and shiny but I feel like those things yeah. are like contrary a little yeah. bit <laughs> so I just kind of fell out of love with Vancouver and it was real bummer because like I had put so many eggs in that basket for a mm-hmm. long time but yeah we started to realize I I had taken on a job working for myself that had a lot of stuff coming in to the house because <laughs> it was closed right and we were in like this cute we called it a hobbit hole it was it was a cute little place but like it's cute for two people and two cats to live in, but it's not easy to run a business out of a little place like that. No. And even though our location was really great, we're right off of commercial drive. Um, we were just like up to our eyeballs with stuff and we had no room to do anything. Mm-hmm. We're like, we got to move. And we started to look about where we could move and we realized we couldn't afford Vancouver anymore. Nothing was affordable. So we started looking at New West and we're like, okay, maybe we'll move to New West, which is kind of like the Laval or or equivalent of Vancouver and you're just like okay New West is one of the the other cities and we're like oh that that seems like our kind of vibe still and as we were looking there the price just started skyrocketing we're like what is going on and it just kept happening and we stayed in our place we had really great landlords and like a really great vibe in our neighborhood so we're like it's okay we'll hold on and then it was just like okay this isn't this isn't affordable anymore like this is like now the closest place that we can get a place that's affordable 
is like the distance of like what Mirabelle would be to to right like if you were living in the plateau and it's just like that's it's like almost an hour to get to work or yeah whatever, every right? day and it's, it's just not what we wanted and mm-hmm. we're like we moved to vancouver to be in vancouver so we're like okay let's start looking at other places and so we watched this movie called away we go that okay. has a uh, john krasinski and maya rudolph in it and they are a young couple that are pregnant and they're his parents decided to just up and leave and that's kind of their anchor that was keeping them there and so they decided to go check out other places to live and they went to a bunch of different places where their friends lived and you know family members and mm-hmm. one of the places that they went to was montreal oh. and they're like we should move to montreal and i'm like maybe we should move to montreal yeah and so we kind of like we had the parameters of like we had to stick with his company of where they had offices and so there was like vancouver Alberta had offices in Calgary and Edmonton, and we're like, hard, no, we're not going back to Alberta. That was already off the list. <laughs> off the list. <laughs> Tried so, and failed. Yeah, and we're like, no, never again. And so then there was, like, offices in Mississauga and Montreal. And so we're like, we had initially thought about Mississauga, and our friends were like, you're going to hate it there. And we're like, we don't know. Like, look, you can get, like, houses for rent for, like, what we're paying here. What's in Mississauga other than, Strip like, malls. That's it, eh? Because I feel like yeah. the only thing I ever see from Mississauga is on receipts of things that I order online. Yeah. It's it's strip malls. And so we booked a trip to come out this way. And we're like, we'll do like a road trip. We'll land in Toronto and then we'll road trip up to Ottawa where my sister was living at the time. And she was pregnant and she was about to move to England. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well, this is my last chance to see you before you have the baby and move to England. And so I'm like, all right. So we drove up to Ottawa and we didn't tell anybody, but we were checking out all the areas. And so we drove around Mississauga and Toronto and we drove around Ottawa and then we drove out here too. We had some people that I had made friends with online at some point. And so they agreed to show us around and we were just utterly charmed by Montreal. We're like, it's so cute. It's a pretty great yeah. city. And so we're like really big on character and charm. And mm. so that just did it for us. And There's we, definitely a lot of that here. Yeah. yeah. So we're like, <laughs> this is where we want to be. And yeah, we basically came home and we knew it. And so he put in for a request just being like, hey, is there any chance that I could get a transfer or anything? And they're like, oh, well, we'll look and see what we can do. And about a year and a half later, we got a a random day where they're like, so your request has been approved. They've created a position for you. You're moving to Montreal. When can they expect you? And we're like, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Because I guess also all this is pre-pandemic. So it wasn't so much remote work back then, which could have been a different sort of thing where it could have been like, fuck it, we're going to Montreal and we'll just remote work all the way and it wouldn't have been a request situation and all that. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, that, everything being pre-pandemic was definitely very different and we never expected that we were going to be moving here literally six months before a pandemic happened. No one was expecting anything six months before the the pandemic. It was the Spanish Inquisition. (laughs) Nobody expects it. It We were collectively unaware and unprepared. Oh, yeah, (laughs) completely. Um, so yeah, we, uh, oh, we came and so that's how we landed here. And then, yeah, now we both work from home all the time and we're pretty cozy in our apartment and we're quite pleased. Was it hard for you? Like, um, on, on maybe a more emotional level, changing cities, like mm. these are like Calgary, Vancouver, Montreal, it's all yeah. long distances, big yeah. moves. Um, 
was it hard for you to find like your belonging? It, maybe especially the Vancouver situation yeah. where you were like coupled up get, oh, yeah. to get kind of ditched in a yeah. new place, but you did like it there at first. So yeah. it's like, was it, um, how did you feel about uh, maybe your personal, your sense of who you were in di- different places? So in Calgary, we were kind of weirdos and <laughs> I uh, love it. yeah. Well, I mean, I've always been a weirdo, but we are definitely weirdos really standing out. And so, like, me and my best friend and my boyfriend all lived in a townhouse up in the northeast of Calgary. And then we would go visit his ex. Um, They had a child together and they were super amicable. And so we would go visit his ex and her partner every Sunday to do laundry and everything. And so we hung out with them and, like, his... Uh, sorry. Uh, her partner became one of my very best friends. Like they both became really tight friends. And so we were really only like, we had a couple of other friends and stuff that would come over and we'd like play competitive risk and weird <laughs> stuff like that. Um, but yeah, mostly it was like, it was a very small community there and it was mostly my family and my family really drove me crazy. So Moving from Calgary to Vancouver was easy. It was freedom. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, the oppression from my family is gone. For you, um, it was like, yeah, it was me. a good place to expand and actually yeah. find yourself. I, I spread guess. my wings. And so Vancouver was awesome because we had kind of a built-in friend base already. Moving there, um, like, uh, my boyfriend's partner, sorry, my boyfriend's <laughs> brother lived there, had a partner. We were friends with them. They had friends. And so... Like, it was really, and I had moved with my best friend and my partner at that time, too. So it was like, we had, like, this friend group, and they introduced us to people, and they had rooftop barbecues all the time. And it was, like, very social, and we would go to shows, and I worked at a record store, so you're in with all the other weirdo punk rock people and stuff. And so it was just this built-in community, so it was really easy to just, like, slip into the stream and go. Yeah. And so Vancouver was very easy to go along with, and we, like, we really collected quite a friend group over that time, a really tight large friend group that actually became almost intimidating with the amount of stuff that we had to do Mm -hmm. like our calendars were constantly full and we felt like we were always bailing on stuff because we'd be tired and it's like you would bail on something once a week or something and be like yeah everyone thinks we're a flake and it's like wow but we've also been doing things like you're exhausted five six nights a week where you're just like i'm so tired and uh yeah and like i love all those people um so it was really difficult leaving them. Uh, harder than I thought it was. I thought it was going to feel a lot like how Calgary did, where it's like, oh, it'll be okay. And it, it definitely has been harder. Like, I lost some friendships through it, and that long-distance friendship didn't work. And definitely other ones have definitely kind of thinned out and everything, where you still have, like, affection for each other, but you don't reach out as frequently mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. You're not on the day-to-day anymore. You're not on the day-to-day. Yeah. And that's okay, because, you know, like, I... I'm very comfortable with the fact that I am just about 42 and I am like in my midlife and I'm really comfortable with that transition into midlife. So, mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah, it's a new phase. I'm like my younger self partied and did all the things and was a social butterfly and I burnt myself out. And now it's like, okay, now it's all about quiet and stuff. So like, it's, I'm okay with that kind of transition mm-hmm. now. So yeah, it's that makes good. sense. I yeah. think. And I feel like it's also interesting because ultimately, um, I feel that from one place to the next, if you get to a new city, you're, you hints funny because you describe yourself, yourself and your husband as weirdos. Yes. And you're like, oh, we've always been this. And then it's like, but you found your circles wherever you yeah. went, you know, in the end, like there's people for people for everyone. Yes, exactly. everywhere. Yeah. So I find that interesting because I, I get that's definitely always like the big one and leaving friends behind is really hard. And oh, it's I hard, feel yeah. like I've been more on the other end of that spectrum where 
I work in advertising in Montreal. There's a lot of French people that yeah. come to work here. Um, and I mean, so I've got like a dozen friends that have moved back oh, across yeah. the ocean and it's like super heartbreaking. And there was a moment where I was like, Hey, I lost my group, man. I lost my yeah. family, but it wasn't my choice as much as it was theirs. But yeah. then, you know, life goes on, you meet other people, you yeah. make new networks and you make new friends. And like yeah. you said, like we still love each other. Like if they're, to, if they call and they're like, I'm in Montreal next week, we're going to see each other yeah. for sure and vice versa. But yeah. like it does, it, it changes a little, it does work on your identity as well. It does. Yeah, mm-hmm. it does. Um, yeah, because going from social butterfly to like total hermit was quite the transition. Yeah. And like, so I had, I joked when the pandemic started and everybody had to, <laughs> to self-isolate and all that everybody stuff. had to hermit <laughs> and, and hermit is i was just like i feel like i have a six month head start on everybody because we moved here and we didn't know really anybody we only knew two people but like they lived across town and it was like a 45 minute metro to get to see them so it was winter and we're like you know once the winter thaws we're really going to get out into the city and go experimenting and exploring <laughs> and we had no idea that yeah it, the the city was going to be like no you're going to stay indoors for two years and we're yeah. like oh okay this is like the moment of the narrators like in yeah. the memes we're going to go out when it's summer and explore they were not going <laughs> to go out not. in the summer and explore <laughs> <laughs> exactly so we yeah we had those friends but but like that kind of drifted off um just because we didn't really put the work in and, and they already have their circle and everything. So mm-hmm. they they were had open arms to try and welcome us in. But then, you know, the world and circumstances kind of close those doors. And so, um, like, there's no hard feelings. We still chat with each other and everything. It's just there's no um, there's no closeness. Yeah. And that's OK, because I know that they've got a full life, too. And um and I'm not guilting myself about not being a great friend anymore because I used to guilt myself about that a lot. Mm. So, but you have a very full life too. Mm. So it's one of those things it's that true. I feel. Yeah, we uh, we do that a lot, and we get like I was telling you just but when you arrived, I was like, I'm having like a high anxiety day, and I'm thinking about canceling yeah. on the festive uh, Saint Cassette that we have planned later for friends because I'm just not. I can't do social today, and I'm yeah. like, I feel. Horrible. I'll text my friend being like, I don't think I can make it tonight because I feel like I'm being a bad friend. At the yeah. same time, I'm like, why am I going to torture myself? Yeah, <laughs> you <know>? exactly. <laughs> we really do beat ourselves up on that kind of stuff. And I used to do it a lot. Mm-hmm. And somebody was kind enough to remind me that when it comes to parties and everything, the hosts are focusing on who's there, not who didn't show up. Mm-hmm. So it's like that kind of takes that alleviation off a little it's bit true. where you're just like, oh, okay, like I'm not ruining anybody's good time. The only time that you'd be ruining a really good time is if it was supposed to be a surprise party for you. But I would assume that people would try really hard to get you to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, in the same spirit of kind of like the changes and mm. all of that, I find one thing that's very interesting about you is that you've had so many different kinds of jobs yeah. and careers over time. And it's like, I do believe that some of these make sense also with where you were and the scene that you were in. Yeah. And it's kind of funny because I can kind of see in my mind the timeline of like Margot at the uh, Halloween costume store yes. piercing shots. <laughs> and then somewhere along the line, the hermit at home yeah. <laughs> business girl. So like yeah. maybe could you walk us through that a little bit and like kind of tell us about the maybe just like the diversity of jobs you've had and a little bit yeah. of what drove you to because I feel like you did a lot of switches to I were, did yeah um, 
like almost complete turnovers. Yeah. So what got you from point A to point B? And- so I am definitely an ADHD girly. Um, <laughs> I, when I was younger, I used to get like the six month itch at a job where I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I quit. And yeah. um, I, I did it a lot for my first few years. And so I went through like a lot of like random retail jobs and coffee shops and easy things like that. And um, yeah, basically... Like, that's what Calgary was, was just random retail. I worked at Winners. I worked at Good Earth. Like, I just worked at a few random places. I worked at some other places in a mall. I can't even remember. Cotton Ginny was one, I think. (laughs) There's some of them that are gone. It's PTSD. Selective memory. (laughs) Um, But, yeah. So, when I moved to Vancouver, I got a job thanks to my boyfriend's brother. He worked at A&B Sound and got me in at their record store. And so, I got to fulfill my Empire Records dream of wanting to work in a record store um and so i did that for my first couple of years living there uh emb sound um definitely got shut down by like best buy and everything getting moved in right and so we watched like it coming like it's coming it's coming and it was like wave after wave of layoffs so when i got laid off i wasn't that surprised i was like okay yeah I figured, I think AMB Sound only had about six months left after I was laid off. And so, yeah, after that, I just kind of bumped around. I worked at Winners for a little while again because I had done it and it was easy. And uh, I didn't love it. And so we used to have like these like weird like low rider bikes with big fat back tires. Nice. And we like modded them with like U handlebars that looked like we were on like low rider motorcycles, but they were bicycles. Nice. <laughs> and so we would ride them down the the uh, water oh, what am I, what's the name of it? The waterfront wall. I can't remember it, the name of it. <laughs> anyway, um yeah we just ride back and forth because it's pretty flat and you just ride back and forth and back and forth and every once in a while we would uh, deviate off of that and so one time I was like oh if we go over here we can go past that store that's got the crazy window displays I don't I didn't even know what it was we had just driven past it a bunch of times and I didn't know what it was and we pulled up and it was August I think and it was all Halloween and I love Halloween my partner loves Halloween we're like and so we're like looking in the all the windows and we're like oh it's so cool awesome and it had this big marquee out on the outside that said want to work here bringing your bloody resume and i'm like oh that's like that brief is so up your alley yeah, and i'm like oh my god i should do it right i should i should apply and he's like yes you totally should because we both knew i hated my job um and so we're like okay and so i printed off my um resume oh i guess i forgot like i worked in print shops in calgary too that's actually what a big chunk of what i did was in calgary was i worked in print shop doing um post press and pre-press in different Mm -hmm. capacities so i got like kind of exposed to design and nice paper and all that kind of stuff at a young age and so i had like this really nice slick looking one page resume before that became the norm and it was i did mine on glossy paper with like a typewriter kind of print and so I had my resumes and I splattered them with red food coloring and let it dry. And then the next day I went in and I was all nervous because I'm very shy. And I was like, oh, my God. And so I walked up to the main desk and I'm like, hi. And this guy was there. He's like, hey, what can I help you with? And I was just like, <laughs> and I was just like, I grabbed my resume and I'm like I would like to apply and his eyes just lit up and he's like oh my god <laughs> you brought a bloody resume and I'm like that's what the sign said he's like 
hold on. And so I was like, okay. And so we ran and got the manager and she came and she checked it out. And she's like, okay, okay. She's trying to play it cool. She's like, all right, all right. Well, I'll give you a call. We're going to have people in for interviews. And I got an interview and yeah, they were mostly hiring for seasonal help because that's it. Like, Halloween. It's a, yeah, it's a party store slash like a balloon um, distributor. Okay. So like Kuala Latex, they are like the biggest distributor or they were back in the day. And that's like the nicest type of balloon. And it's also, I have like a weird encyclopedia of balloon knowledge in my head. And so I love that. Those <laughs> random, the random knowledge you collect from jobs throughout your life yeah. where it's like every now and then you're at a party and you have a conversation. You're like, oh, by the way, actually the industry works this yeah. way. And everyone's like, why the yeah. fuck would you know that? Right. Like, well, I worked in a balloon shop. Right. <laughs> I can explain like why air and helium come out of balloons at like different paces and everything like that. And it's, it's silly, but it's funny. So yeah, we did all that kind of stuff, but they transferred themselves, transformed themselves into a Halloween costume store for Halloween every year. And they just did like bank during that time. And so they always needed a lot of people in for the seasonal help. And I was just like, okay, well I will take the seasonal position, but I'm like, but is there a chance that it could be long-term? And she's like, well, each year we often will take on one or two people long-term if they work out. And I was like, okay, whatever. And so I got in there and she hired me and we, I started in the costume rental room. So there is the packaged ones that you can buy that people can come and try on. But then there's like the fancy ones that you see in like movies and stuff like that. That's what we would rent out. Mm -hmm. And so we rented them and we sold different costumes and all that kind of stuff. And so they put me in the rental room for whatever reason. And it was awesome. It was this like weird little backstage looking kind of room. Yeah. And it had like stairs in it that you had to run up to get different costumes. And they taught me how to do that kind of stuff. And it was really good. And they're like, okay, so we're going to teach you how to do invoicing, which this is like, like advanced level stuff that nobody, not everybody does, but to do the rentals, you have to learn this. I was like, no problem. And I pick up computer stuff really quickly. Mm -hmm. So I like watched and I saw it and I was like, okay, blah, 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 and bam them out. And they're like, Hey, good job. If I like snagged anything, I'd be like, Oh, this part, I can't remember. And they'd be like, yeah, this. And I remember it. And they're like, damn, she's good. And so I was doing that kind of stuff. And yeah, after Halloween, uh, there's like the takedown area. Cause like you get completely shopped out, you know, that whole, like, I would compare it to what Christmas, the frenzy of Christmas is like. It's like that, except um, there's only one store to shop in the city instead of all the city. Like all the shops. Every store becoming like a micro Christmas store. This is the store that everybody goes to. We had people that would like, we'd have lineups around the block for like two weeks leading up to Halloween. And we'd have to let people in and count until people came out and then let three people in. It was, it was insanity trying to work there. But then after Halloween, it's like kind of like emptied out and just like scraps of things on the floor. And so they had a couple people there to help like pack that up and do the conversion into Christmas and all that kind of stuff. And they're like, we'd like to offer you a position. And I was like, okay, full-time or part-time. And they're like, it's supposed to be part-time. I'm like, can it be full-time? It's hard to plan your life around part-time. Exactly. And they're like, okay, we really want to keep you. So yes. So I was like, yeah. So I was super stoked. I worked there for five years and I worked myself up to assistant manager and I did the, uh, I became the display manager and I created like, I wrote a a whole book about how to display things so that everything was consistent. And so future people. Like a brand book, basically. It's a brand book, basically. Yeah. And so I ended up doing that um, and all kinds of things. So 
Um, yeah, I have done it. But after year after year, you know, the management was quite toxic there. Like the owner, literally, she would storm in. She had owned this place her like her entire life. She had inherited her dad's carnival. And he was a carny man. Special thing. Right? And so this place really attracted some unique individuals. Like, (laughs) there's some weirdos there. And it was, like, the people that would last, too. Like, there were people that had worked there for 30 years. Yeah. So, but, yeah, so she had owned a carnival. And so she took all of those little carnival things and rented them out. And so we rented carnival games and all different kinds of stuff like that, which actually we ended up doing a vintage circuits themed wedding for my wedding because I got discounts on all of that kind of stuff. So we were it's able amazing. to set up authentic kind of things with like the real popcorn cart. That's like the red popcorn um, cart. That's all shiny and brass. And then we had like those things that you like the cats on a board that you throw balls at that knocks right, them back. Right. And so we had all that kind of stuff. And so I got all of that stuff from them for super cheap. But yeah, it was like this huge labyrinth of a building with these people that had worked there forever. But like the owner, she, she did not give a fuck about like any kind of like respect towards her employees. If you were in her way and she had saw something that needed to be done, she would just pick up a box and throw it at you. And you just like, that's oh. horrendous. Oh yeah. She it's was so toxic. And that's the thing is everybody just went shrugged it off and was just like, Oh, whatever. It's no big deal. And so we all got like, you kind of get sucked into this weird abusive mm-hmm. relationship working there with those people who yeah. react. I feel like it's all, it's so typical of a toxic place where it's people People's answers to abusive behavior is, well, that's just the way they are, right? Exactly. Like, oh, well, that's just so-and-so. She yeah. throws boxes when she's upset. And it's like, oh, are yeah. we normalizing this? Right? Why? Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, there was just, like, some weird stuff like that. And so it wears on you year after year. And Absolutely. So, like, my last Halloween there, you know, I had to do scheduling for, like, 45 people. And, like, you have to schedule. So I would have – I would know who was on shift that day because the, the manager would, sh- like, schedule people for their shifts. But then I had to schedule what department they were in and when they were going to have their 15-minute break, their lunch break, like, all of that stuff. And you had to have it so that there was alignment so somebody was always coming to cover that person. So you'd have to make sure that it, like, worked out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I would spend, like – four to five hours of my day of an eight hour work day working on that and like people would be like what are you doing and I'm just like you gotta be doing this and that I'm like I need to be scheduling and I'm like otherwise this place isn't gonna be working exactly and it was just like it got it just got to be so much that I remember um I had actually gotten <laughs> so there was that there was a crossover so I got married in 2010 and that is also uh, when I left the party store was just a couple months after the wedding. How long were you at the party store? For? I was at the party store for five years. Okay. It's yeah. A decent amount of time. It was a time. decent amount of yeah. time there. So enough time to really suck the light out of your life. When you love a thing like Halloween and just be like, oh my God, Halloween's coming. And you're and like, Ugh. I can also kind of assume like short of being, say, the manager or the owner of a place like that, like. There is a limit to how much working in a place like that can teach you. So you were talking about earlier, you're, you're, you're saying ADHD girl, you can't, Mm. who gets like six months sickness of being in one place. But at the same time, like, well, I feel like doing the different levels and it sounds like you also created a lot of jobs for yourself and they're like the display stuff and the designing and like you used your skills to be, to make it a better place. But I could also understand between the abusive situations and then just being there for a long time. 
you probably ran out of things to learn. You run out of things to learn and like you get tired of like rubbing up against management that like refuses to give the workers any kind of acknowledgement or pay raises. Right. And so you're just like, I deserve a raise for everything that I do. And all they would counter with was any time you messed up. And both you messed up this or this happened here and this is why we can't do it. I'm like, yeah, but like I created the brand book and I'm like, I've done this and I've done that and I've changed how this works so that it's a better system. And they're just like, yeah, I've been instructed that you're not getting anything. And so like after three years of not getting a raise, you're just like, that's not reasonable. And it's also like, it's so shitty too. It's like, yeah, it's more toxicity in the management as you were saying, like, countering I do something well with but you've done this wrong it's yeah. always meant to make someone small and feel like exactly. unworthy right so and that's what they kind of did but and why some of those people lasted so long is because they did believe that they weren't worthy they believed the things that they would say to keep people at a low wage and it's like no you gotta you gotta do better than it's this it's like abusive relationship yeah. 101 right make the person small so they never leave you yeah <laughs> and so I was just like this is this is bananas and so just before I got married. That was in August. Um, My friends that I had met, like my first summer that I was out in Vancouver, she uh, was a tattoo apprentice and had been working in and out of the tattoo industry. And part of my plan when I moved to Vancouver initially was that I wanted to become a tattooer. I'm like, I'm going to be a tattooer. That's what I'm going to do. And I would draw, draw, draw. But I was too shy to ever go into shops and talk to anybody. Uh So I never did anything. And then like, I'm just like, "Mm, I don't know. And so I kind of let that waver because I just didn't think that I had, um, enough brass to do it. But yeah, she had been managing a tattoo shop in Richmond and was like, I need a new weekend person to cover my weekends. So she's like, I work five days a week. I need you to come in on like, or would you like to do this job on Wednesdays and Thursday? And I'm like, you know, I had tried starting an Etsy shop with while I was working at the party store before that and had made an arrangement that every other week I could have an extra day off to focus on that Etsy shop. Yeah. And so that was acceptable. And so I was like, okay. So when this came up, it was like a kind of act fast kind of situation. Absolutely. She's like, I'd like it to be you, but like, if you can't do it, I need to hire somebody like fast. Basically you need to say yes or no now. (laughs) Exactly. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to say yes. And so my, my manager had been on vacation for two weeks. And so she wasn't there when I had the party store. Yeah. At the party store. And like, we had a general manager and stuff like that. Um, but I didn't normally have to clear that kind of stuff through her. Anyway, I'm just like, I'm just going to make this be a thing. And so I just put in the in the schedule that I couldn't work on Thursdays or Wednesdays and Thursdays so I could go work at the tattoo shop. And so I just started working at the tattoo shop and I had done like just a couple of shifts there and was learning it. And so I'm like, okay, I can do this. This is like something different than the party store. Right. And uh, yeah. A, a foot out the door. <laughs> yeah, a foot out the door. I'm like, I'm just... I'm just seeing what else is out there. And um, yeah, after the second week of me doing that, my general manager and my and my manager had returned and they came and they like cornered me in like one of the back areas of the shop and they were just like started hounding me about what was going on and why was I doing this and why did I think I was allowed to go ahead and okay that kind of thing. And I'm just like, because there's precedent that I was able to do it before. And so they got really upset with me, and but I'm like, well, there's nothing that you can do because this is my arrangement now. And so um, they were they were pissed, but they were like, fine, whatever. And so that continued on. And then October hits and October is, of course, madness there. Mm-hmm. And I woke up one morning. I was supposed to open the shop and I woke up and I was like literally like 
racked with shivers and I had soaked the bed in sweat, I was super sick. And I'm like, I can't go into the store. And I'm like trying to find my schedule. I couldn't find my schedule. And I'm just like, who else is supposed to be there? And so I was trying to contact everybody that I could to be like, I can't get in. I can't get in to go open the store. Somebody else has to go open. Mm -hmm. Um, Or at least because like the hours got like increased where we'd open way earlier than normal. And so I'm just like, worst case scenario is they open an hour later. I think I was supposed to open at like eight and I'm like they'll open at nine and I'm like it sucks and I'm like but I can't get a hold of anybody the numbers that I have nobody's answering and I'm like I can't see who else is supposed to be there and later that day they called me and they told me I was fired and I was like oh and I was like really I was like pissed at first I'm like I can't believe you're doing this to me but then I was like wait they're like okay so your severance is you're gonna get paid five weeks um blah blah like they had to do the severance and I was like so hold up and I'm like it was like I think a week and a half until Halloween and I'm like and I realized after I'm like I don't have to work Halloween I get all of November off I get paid for it and you have your job with the tattoo and I've shop got the tattoo now. shop but just as all that was happening they had been talking to me that they were opening a second location in another city wait they being the, the tattoo okay. shop so the tattoo shop where like is there any chance that you would ever be able to become full-time you take over being the full-time deskie here and your friend Miranda will go out to Langley and go do that one and, and I was like oh I don't know I'm like I'm a manager at this place and, and all of a sudden I'm like yeah so when is that happening and they're like that's gonna be we're opening in December and I was like I'm in. <laughs> okay. And I'm like, I'm down. And so basically all of November, I got to work just like two days a week and just like hang out and watch the Rachel Zoe project on the couch for a month. And I was like, this is great. <laughs> I feel like every now and then you take a leap, you like follow an instinct somewhere yeah. where you're like, I always was curious about tattoo shops yeah. and tattooing. And then someone offers you something that's just small, but yeah. that can work. And yeah. that's just kind of gets you a foot in that door yeah. and a foot out of the other one that you don't want. Exactly. And then all of a sudden... You get sick, you get fired for it, which is absolutely not legitimate, by the way. It's not. But was really convenient for you. And then it's like, well, everything kind of fell into place. Yeah. Well, they had my manager who, like, she and I had gotten along really well. So she told me, she's like, they were planning on doing this after Halloween. But since you made them angry without not showing up today, they just told me to do it now. And so I was like... Oh, okay. And I'm yeah. like, you know what? I'm like, this sure. worked out for the best. I'm like, I didn't even have to work Halloween. I'm like, I, I'm like, this is incredible. I'm like, this is amazing. So it worked out really well. I worked five years at the tattoo shop, and yeah, we like, I managed multiple tattooers and piercers, and I learned how, uh, the difference between sanitation and sterilization mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Like, those are very distinct things. When I hear somebody like being like, I sterilized it. I'm like, mm, honey, you sanitized. Like you sanitized. <laughs> And did you ever end up tattooing people or you? I never tattooed anyone. My friends offered to let me do it where they're like, oh, we'll let you do it. But then they never actually did. And I was like, yeah, figures. But I did get to pierce a weenus. So, yeah, the the piercers are, they're fun. And so when I lived in Calgary, I had actually gone into a bunch of shops trying to become a piercer and nobody would take me on. But I was like, really, that's what I wanted to do when I was like 19. I'm like, I'm going to be a piercer and a tattoo girl, do both. So um, I used to... Whenever they had, like, a fun, crazy kind of procedure that they were going to do, I'd, I'd ask the person getting it done, being like, do you mind if I watch? And they'd be like, no. And so if they were doing anything weird, like scalpeling or, like, 
like flesh punching or anything mm-hmm. like that, I'd be like, I'd go in and I'd look at it and I'd look at the stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, it just all fascinated me and it didn't gross me out. And so uh, one of the piercers one night, he's like, you want to pierce my weenus? I'm like, hell yeah, I do. Absolutely. And so the weenus is just like the elbow flap, right? right? Yeah. But yeah, I got to I gotta do that. I didn't quite hit my marks, but I was close. And it was uh, really satisfying to you go pop, pop through skin. I feel like I've never seen a pierced weenus. Hmm. It's, a, it's just a practice thing. So nobody keeps it pierced. <laughs> Oh, okay. So you're so just going to say, like, what do you do when you were, like, I feel like it's the kind of thing that would get caught all oh, the time. Oh, it would get caught and it would, like, migrate right out. Because, like, how how Your piercings skin, work yeah. is it needs two planes of skin to anchor it in. Yeah. So, like, your lip has, like, this outer skin and the soft stuff. And so yeah. it's kind of like a weave that keeps it in place. But you'll see, like, eyebrow piercings grow out quite often yeah. because it's, it doesn't have two planes of skin for it to do it yeah. sometimes. So, yeah. Um, so we learned all about that. But basically, what apprentice piercers do is called running needles and you're running a needle through just trying to hit your marks you're getting used to holding the clamp and the needle and all the pressure that you need to use and it's a lot more pressure than you think it's going to be to like push through somebody's skin but yeah so that was super fun i gotta do that that was neat nice (laughs) (laughs) and then um is it after the piercing shop that you started? Because you said you already started your Etsy shop at the time. Did you keep that so going? I didn't keep that going, no. So I did not have the the gumption to keep it going. I it, I was making, like, cute little hats. So they were, like, nice. little cat toques and stuff like that. And honestly, I used the sewing machine at the party store in the rental room oh. to do a lot of my stuff where I just went... And then I bought my own sewing machine and would do some at home. But um, I didn't keep up with it. And I let it fall by the wayside. So I, I had tried several times to launch little businesses. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I'm just hopeless. I can't do this. So I really didn't believe in myself at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I had, like, different Etsy's and stuff like that that never went anywhere. They Like, I'd get a – I think I had, like, six orders on one shop or something. It was, like, nothing big. It's tough to get a shop off the ground. Yeah. But, and mm-hmm. so uh, what actually happened is when I was at the tattoo shop, um, there's a lot of downtime. Yeah. You have – already cleaned the whole building and you've done this like you've ran the tools for the tattooers because that's what I had to do is sterilize all the tools um and you're just dealing for with customers at that point when they come in and you're talking to them consulting them on who to go with or what would work or help them set up their appointments and take deposits but like if nobody's in and the tattooers are tattooing you're just sitting there twiddling your thumbs and I was obsessed with Pinterest but I sit on the computer and I would be on Pinterest all day and I'm like how do I get paid to pin all day and I ended up starting a blog and figuring out how to get paid by pinning all the time that's so amazing at the tattoo shop I would yeah is when I started my blog and uh yeah after about eight months of blogging I got let go of the tattoo shop this is a common theme I get let go of jobs often so I quit a lot but they also yeet me my themselves sometimes <laughs> they're like you're out of here so that one yeah they um they let me go because they had brought a new owner and they were totally liquidating the the place they were just like oh we're totally doing this and that but it wasn't i'm like i was calling out some of the shady stuff that they were doing yeah keeping wise where i'm like this is kind of fishy and they're like okay you're 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 gone and i'm like oh i need too much (laughs) oh no yeah so within three months keeping it's a double-edged sword (laughs) exactly so uh yeah so within three months of me getting let go from the tattoo shop they closed that location down completely and then they just had the one in Langley running for a while, but then they sold that one within about six months or less. So they were completely out of the tattoo business by that point. 
But uh, I had nothing to do at that point. I had a blog and I was just, I was kind of dumbfounded. It was literally two days before my birthday. And I came home just being like, I don't have a job anymore. Yeah. That'll uh, make <laughs> yeah. you uh, think of what you got to do next. <laughs> and um, yeah, like I have, so I suffer from quite a bit of chronic pain. Um, I used to have very large breasts and I got a breast reduction done. But um, like I, I had like pain standing. I couldn't, I didn't have full motion of my arms. And I was just like, I don't have a post-secondary at all. And so all I have are like really interesting experience jobs, but mostly all I can really enter back into is retail or service. And I'm like, that's so hard on your body. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. So I asked my husband um, if he would be cool if I took the summer off to try and figure things out. And he's just like, we'll figure it out and so it's like okay so we gave some time and I was blogging already so I'm like what if I really give a go at this blogging thing and he's like do your thing I believe in you and so I just started blogging I started really putting everything into it and yeah by the next year I was making an okay income not quite as much as I was making at the tattoo shop but by the following year I had surpassed what I was making at the tattoo shop wow so yeah and uh what does the income come from is it uh advertising or partnerships yeah so it's a mix it's like you have a really diversified stream of income Mm -hmm. a lot of affiliate links from various agencies um and then you do partnerships and that kind of stuff I also ran a um like a personal shopper service. So I would do a virtual person, like a job where they, people would go through their closets and it help them get rid of stuff that they don't need. And then I would create them their personal Pinterest with a ton of affiliate links and stuff like that of items of what they were talking about, the aesthetic that they were going for. And I would curate um, like a big shopping list for them that also worked with pieces that they already had. Okay. And so like, yeah, so I had like several different things. And then I also did social media management for some of my friends that own businesses. All so right. I had just like a ton of little, like I was just juggling tons All of All kinds of skills that you gained through the other stuff that you had done. Yeah. Also, uh, what what was your blog? Uh, what was it called? What was it about? What was your topic? It was called margomini.com. And when I opened it, the whole idea was that it was supposed to be kind of celebrating our weird little life in East Vancouver. You know, with you and your husband's life. Yes, exactly. It was more like my life, but like our life, uh, sort of friends. Personal blog type of. Personal blog, exactly. It was about like, because we threw really elaborate parties and we would go to all the different breweries that were in the neighborhood because it was really like they were popping up everywhere to the point that there was hundreds of them in our neighborhood. Um, So yeah, it was like different restaurants and meals I like to cook and my cats and clothing and my hair changing and all that kind of stuff. It was a whole bunch of stuff. But the only things that I was getting pinged on was when I posted my outfits and it was uh, so it just kind of got turned into a plus size blog. So it was all about fashion and like alternative fashion, edgier fashion, how people could work in an office, to, but still be edgy, but also be fat and still find clothes that are cool. And so it just kind of turned into that kind of thing where it was just plus size kind of clothing and all that kind of stuff. And then I would do like these curated gift get like guides for kind of witchy alternative girls. Mm -hmm. Cause you always see like gift guides that are always like, Oh, get her a bath bomb. And (laughs) it's always bath stuff. Right. Bath stuff (laughs) and like tennis bracelets and stuff like that. Right. That's not what we're talking about here. Here's like, I would do like a Harry Potter list of here's cool Harry Potter stuff. Yeah. you know, here's like weird witchy stuff like nails and hats and like cool stuff like that. And I'm like, this is what you send your 
your partner to get stuff. And so that's, that's really what it cool. kind of turned into. Yeah. I feel like one of the things that I love the most about this mm-hmm. is the fact that like, again, you earlier described yourself as a weirdo. And then it's like, I feel that oftentimes, um, or maybe it's our generation or whatever, but like growing up thinking like being weird is mm. wrong, you know, and it's yeah, you're the other. whole like system of education and of work and hierarchy in, in jobs mm. is made to kind of like mainstream everyone into sort of like a mold that is yeah. more or less large, but not that much. And whenever you deviate from that, it's yeah. kind of like, it's not supposed to work out somehow. Yeah, so I feel like, um, it's nice to see that you took all these elements of yourself that you kept gravitating back towards, like yeah. whether it's going to the Halloween store, the costume yeah. shop, the party shop, which is something that you're like, oh my God, that's my personality. Yeah. The tattoo shop, piercing shop, that's yeah. more of that, that gave you skills that ended up being really useful to you when you just did a blog. And that was literally just you being yourself. Yeah. And it turned into a business that yeah. made sense and that you stuck to because you liked yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I had done it for, like, a good amount of years. Like, I think I did it for, like, eight years until it was just after we moved here that I realized I wasn't in love with it anymore. Mm-hmm. And and I kind of had slowed down on doing stuff. We had had kind of a traumatic experience when we moved here. We got scammed. Our moving company um, was run by nefarious organization, <laughs> which I shall not say too much about that, but you know, I'm sure you can read between the lines. They screwed us and they um they brought our stuff really late. So we basically camped in our apartment for three weeks with two plates that we bought from a store and a pot. And like we had gotten a bed, thank God, through my blogging, I I landed a bed. Um, the so, pros of blogging yeah, so that and was influencing. A good thing. But um, yeah, we had like nothing. It was just like the landlord had left a couple of chairs for us because he's like, oh, you don't have furniture, so I'll leave these chairs right. for you. And we're like, thank you. And he wasn't like, I remember you took an apartment that he was living in and he wasn't really living in it. Yeah. It was his, but he wasn't there. So. He would crash there because he was like a fireman and he would crash there when he was on shift in the city because he didn't live in the city anymore. Right. So he would be on for four days and then off for three or something like that. And so he would, yeah, he would crash there. So there was a bed and there was like two chairs and two weird bookcase desk nub things. I don't know what they were. (laughs) We used them as surfaces for quite a while because we didn't have anything. But yeah, our moving company, they held our stuff hostage and then they charged us over twice what they said it was going to be. And they wouldn't deliver our stuff until we... Gave them the money. I have a feeling this is not quite legal. Yeah. And then uh, and then they broke a bunch of our stuff, too. Um, so, like, some heirlooms of mine that really crushed me. So, you know those, like, uh, Mary Mushroom canister sets that are all the rage on the internet now? Yeah. It's just been crushing my soul seeing it because I had this perfect canister set where it was, like, they were pieces of pie that all sat on a tray. And then the mushroom lid was the lid to all of the pieces. Right. And I've had that my entire life. My mom glazed that before I was born. That's amazing. And I asked her when I was like 15, being like, can I have that? And she's like, yeah, whatever, have it. So I was like, yay. <laughs> and uh, I carted that thing around from Calgary to Vancouver to Montreal and they smashed it. To, That's like, horrendous. So I have a couple pieces of the canister, like the wedges, um, but the, the lid and the tray, the things that make it a mushroom are gone. And I so, want to say that at least if it's all the rage again now, there's a possibility of you getting one one day that you yeah. will like and it won't be the original. Yeah. But at least it'll be a replacement. Well, everybody's got like the individual canisters and they're really, they're, they're so cute. Um, but the interesting thing is, and this is TikTok, is I've gotten down this rabbit hole of watching people that own ceramic shops that have molds. 
And they do mystery molds where they pour slip into the mold and then you have to wait a day and then they crack it open and find out what's inside. Mm -hmm. I found two different people that had these down. I've been watching them. And they're like, oh, my God. It's a One of them was like, it's a merry mushroom. One of the things. And I'm like, oh, my God. Do you have this one? And I explain it to them. And they're like, no, but I'll keep my eye out for it. And so if they ever land one of those molds, yeah. I'm going to get them to create one for me. And I'll finally have one to go That's on. That's amazing. Because my mom did hers like in this like awesome fiery orange lid and nobody else did orange it's all brown lids or beige or whatever so i'm just like i want yeah. it to be orange yeah so, yeah which i'm sure you can manage <laughs> yeah so yeah so we're uh so it was a little bit traumatic having that. And then also just like, you know, as we had mentioned before, leaving all of our friends, like that's harder than you actually think it's going to be. I thought I'd be fine. But the loneliness was quite like palpable for the first couple of months. My husband worked at an office in Derval. So I was home alone by myself all like all day long. And we didn't know anybody here. Mm-hmm. And it was very quiet and it was getting cold. And there was like this creepy thing that like, I understand now the starlings do this weird chatter thing in they the autumn yeah. where they just, they screech and then it just stops. Yeah. And I'm like, is this place haunted? <laughs> I'm like, what is going on? And I'm Your like, blog's about to take a turn. <laughs> I'm just like, what is happening? It's about the ghost in my house. Yeah. <laughs> so like, through all of that, like I kind of, I was also doing YouTubing and that kind of stuff. And I yeah. just, I kind of posted a video about being scammed and like my audience was amazing and they really came through and they helped me out with a lot of stuff. Like people donated money, mm-hmm. um, and helped us get our stuff, which is awesome. But then I just never had it in me to do like a follow-up. I didn't want to talk about it anymore, especially You're because sick of it. we have like learned some stuff that we can't talk about publicly about it. And so it's like, how do I, how do I even broach the subject on something that I can't really talk about? Yeah. So it was kind of tricky. And so I just, uh, I kind of gave myself some time to not do anything. Mm-hmm. And then that turned into uh, me not doing anything for a while. And then trying to get back into just posting outfits or something here or there. And I just, I never got into the swing of it. Um, but I had 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 a plan for the year leading up before we moved that I was planning on opening a merch arm of my blog yeah. to diversify the income. So I was going to do like merch. So like I, did, as I mentioned, I was kind of witchy and all that stuff. So I was going to plan on doing this thing called Moon Babe Shop. And all it was, it was going to be like moon based like motifs on t-shirts mm-hmm. and, and like just all the kind of merch stuff that you would usually see from yeah. any kind of internet personality. They've got merch. And so that's what I was going to do enamel pins back patches so i already knew that that was going to be part of my plan that i was going to be launching that but then like the pandemic happened and i was just like oh i don't know like i don't even know how to do any of this the businesses are all closed the pins you order them from china you can't get anything from china right now and i'm just like i don't even know how i'm going to do this mm-hmm. and so yeah the government came through and was just like anybody that's lost their jobs which i did i had lost all of my contracts and right like 80 percent of my affiliate networks shut their programs down. So I'm like, I wasn't making any like passive income anymore. I'm like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? Um, yeah, the, 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 the syrup was being offered. And so I like filled in the thing to see if I qualified and I did. And I was like, okay, so we were getting some money. And I'm like, okay, that's awesome. And I didn't know what the hell I was doing with myself. Yeah. And so I had been watching like weird, like project videos of people staining wood, like, rainbow colors to make it look like oil slick and people doing resin pours and so i spent a bunch of money on craft supplies and i'm like i'm gonna craft because that's what everybody else is doing right now like we're just sitting around twiddling our thumbs and you already know how to monetize these things because you've been doing it yeah so then i was just like okay well i'm just gonna start 
making some stuff. And so I got the, it's called a unicorn spit. It's like all these rainbow wood stains and stuff. And I was like, I'm going to do refurnish furniture and flip it and all that kind of stuff. And it was really tricky because we were in Carta, we were part of Cartago and Cartago left the world. Like they packed up the whole world. Absolutely. Yeah. In, in March of that year or something like that. So we couldn't, or not March, but like that summer. Yeah. yeah. So we didn't have access to vehicles anymore because we've always relied on, um, like car co-op kind of situations, car shares. So we had applied for Communato, but they don't have large vehicles. So you can't get furniture in the little sedans and stuff like that. No, so, you just get like a U-Haul. So something. I'm just like, oh man, like having to rent a U-Haul or a van each time is going to make things really expensive. So flipping furniture is not going to be exactly what's going to work. So I'm and like, it's okay. also a hobby that takes up space. Like oh, yeah. I know, uh, like my own partner would love to do that. Yeah. And it's the thing that comes up the most often is, oh, I wish I could have a workshop exactly. or like a shed or something. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it was uh, that was something that I wanted to do, but it just didn't quite work out. And so I got some resin and I have been playing around with just like I got little trinket boxes and stuff like that mm-hmm. and coasters because that's what most people did. And so I tried that and I'm like, this is extremely satisfying. <laughs> and I'm like, I like this. And like, um, like it was one of those transferable skill things where like you have to wear gloves and everything you have to be very careful about not touching things from the tattoo shop you learn glove discipline so that you're not cross-contaminating touching a dirtier and then like brushing your hair behind your your ears people will do that all the time not thinking that the glove hand that they have is now contaminated you can't touch yourself yeah so i'm just like i've got sticky hands with resin on it but i'm like doesn't matter i'm really good at working with gloves and like not fucking around with that and so yeah, I started making some resin stuff, and uh, then I finally was brave enough to start sharing some of it, and people liked it, and I was like, oh, okay, and people were like, when are you going to sell them, and I'm like, I don't know, and so I took a few more months of getting better and mm-hmm. making stuff, and I launched the shop, and I think I think it was September of 2020 and and everybody bought my stuff so i got some like cool different kind of molds of like crystal cluster tea light th- holders mm-hmm. and stuff like that and i just started doing resin but with like my way so right. i was like putting snakes and swords into things instead of it just being like florals and holographic stickers a lot of florals yeah. in the resin industry it's a lot. <laughs> like i still use florals but i like really it's beautiful yeah. but it's not if you're trying to launch a shop that's yeah. doing something different exactly. it's not the floral yeah so yeah so i'd have florals but i'd have like a little snake and like a sword or daggers and like i'd get jewelry charms yeah and put those in there so that you know it had that kind of like darker appeal and edge and yeah things just evolve from there and now like i'm actually sculpting my own pieces and casting my own molds and you make really beautiful so stuff i'm doing like really strange things now with my mediums and i'm trying like other mediums as well but yeah it just kind of it, it snowballed it, a bit it snowballed a bit yeah and uh you were talking earlier when you were talking about the blog and the youtube and all mm-hmm. that about your audience and how like they were super like they were really present and really great. And yeah. did they follow you into the shop afterwards? A lot of them did. Yeah. A lot of them did. So that helped me kind of establish a base. Yeah. Like when I finally posted that I had a shop um, and I named it Moon Babe Shop initially because I figured I was still going to incorporate that merch arm into it at some point. Yeah. Because I'm selling my art pieces and here's the merch. So I had launched it finally. And yeah, so I had like a good base of people. So um, I have like 60,000 followers on Instagram or something. I like, I got about 4,000 of them. I just went right away. And so like, it was just nice to have like 
4,000 people right there that were just like, we're following along. That's amazing. And so it kind of helped me look a little bit more established and everything. Absolutely. And, and it definitely helped because they were all eager to buy stuff. And so some of those people still follow. I'm not sure how many still do because, you know, people can be fickle online and get bored. But yeah. And also if they were following you for the other content, for other things, it's not exactly. the same. And I wasn't offering that anymore. So. Yeah. Yeah. I do still have a question about the blog yeah. before like we keep talking about your retail, uh, yeah. your personal retail yeah. store, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, you mentioned that a lot of the stuff that you were doing in the end, you went from like, very, well, it was always very personal blog mm. base. It was on your life and who you were, but then moved into like the fashion, the plus size, um, styling and the, like the, the ideas for like gift boxes and all that. And I'm curious to know how you felt like, um, how was your relationship with your audience for content like that? Because I feel that especially women, we get a lot of our cues, uh, online and on, it used to be more blogs. Now it's more like TikToks and social media, but, and like influencers or whatever. Mm -hmm. But we get a lot of our cues of how we're supposed to feel about ourselves and what we're supposed to do, whether it's even just something as simple as fashion and what's Mm -hmm. trending right now. It's like how to do your hair. And I feel like obviously there is more now, but I feel like 10 years ago, there wasn't so much diversity in body sizes or skin colors or like culture and all of that. And definitely part of it is that I kind of was able to stand out because at that point when I was began plus size blogging and really started focusing on the plus size fashion aspect it was a lot of very mainstream fashion people like it was how to look like all the mainstream girls but but larger right and it was like that's cool and all but I'm like but I want to look like all the cool goth girls and alternative girls Mm -hmm. with the grunge stuff I'm like and there was nobody else doing that and so I started doing it and I'm just like yeah, I started that. I started this whole arm called uh, Alternative Curves. It was a hashtag and then became like a, its own account that like amassed like 50,000 followers that it was just all about celebrating like the weirdos where it was just like, yeah, we're not mainstream. We are mm-hmm. different and we're either pinup or goth, r- like punk rock, like all the different things where it's just like we're different. We deviate. So I definitely had a really cool base because of that they just didn't have representation and then I was like one of the first that was out there so Mm -hmm. it definitely belonged to me and then like well through that like I really one of my big things while I was blogging was to shine a light on other people I wanted to be the whole like send the elevator back down kind of situation yeah you know like you if you get raised up it's like that's cool and all but make sure you hit that button to go back down and bring more people up so i love that i'm not a claim over people on the ladder kind of situation and like be like sign everybody it's like no i want to like i want more people like me and like now you go online and you look for a plus size alternative or gothic or any of those things you can find tons of people that are doing it so it's just it's nice to know that um but yeah so that like i I had the plus size thing, but there was also like the whole body positivity slash fat liberation movement that went along with it. Right. And so that you're, and that's part of the part that I, I struggled with the most is because just being out in the world and fat and looking however you want to look and everything like that is, um, it's its own political statement, right? It's its own activism in its own way because you're just, you're being confident and bearing yourself enough to go out there and be yourself unapologetically, which is intimidating to a lot of people. So, um, but like I had a hard time like really 
talking on the fat liberational um, kind of topics, I agreed with them. And I had a lot of friends that spoke really eloquently about that stuff and I would share their things, but I wasn't so good about reiterating those things because I just felt like it was like going through a filter where it wasn't coming out as pure as if you just listen to my friend over here talk about it just mm-hmm. listen to the from the source you didn't want to just repeat other people's exactly. words even if you shared the sentiment yeah yeah so so there was like there was that whole hand basket of that going on as well because like body positivity is definitely a welcome mat for a lot of women mm-hmm. to start just embracing themselves and accepting themselves yeah and it's a nice thing um but it can also be really toxic because then you've got a lot of like mid-sized people that are taking over this space that used to be all about fatter bodies and larger bodies and you're just like oh look at people are literally crouching over and squishing their tummies to be like Mm -hmm. see i've got a pooch too when it's like oh my belly is always here (laughs) it is always apparent (laughs) and so yeah and i can imagine also in the end like it's good that the space has opened up for like all of these different nuanced voices because i understand it too where it's like yes you don't want to take away from the conversation Mm. of body like it's not the same it isn't, I don't, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I yeah. don't think it's the same body positivity, like mindset or conversation when we're talking about like fat plus size yeah. versus when we're talking about like the mid-sized girls yeah. you're saying bent over looking at the ripples. And like, I feel like that conversation is also important, it's important. because there's, yeah. I feel like I remember, I grew up looking at models mm-hmm. that were all anorexic. Absolutely. And so, yeah, the if I sat down and time. I saw my goddamn, what I call a speed bump yeah. or a muffin top, like... Yeah. I was terrified and I was like, oh my God, I need to lose like 15 pounds immediately. Yeah. So to see also people go like, no, no, this is this like is normal. Or normal. Even yeah. Skinny models who yeah. will do the, those videos sometimes are like, so this is when I get up in the morning and now I had lunch and it's like, there's a whole, like, yeah. it's not the same thing. You're like, oh, there's yeah. a thing that's there too. So I feel like the, the spectrum of things is interesting, but yeah. it's also, I like your point of don't take away some space yeah. to make everything kind of more yeah. like ugh, even everywhere. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. So like there was the whole body positivity and also like I didn't body positivity though. Cause I had mentioned earlier, I had a lot of chronic pain. It, I had a hard time resonating like preaching body positivity because mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily feel positive about my body. My body had a lot, lot of limitations. And so somebody introduced me to body neutrality and that, was my jam or it's just like this is my body my body is my vehicle it is my home it takes me from point a to point b it gets the things done it is and it just happens to look how it looks and i will clothe it in a way that makes me feel good but i don't but yeah and that became like more something that i resonated with and would talk more about but yeah like so you as any kind of plus size um person that's out there your audience kind of expects you to not just be fashion and looks and this is where you can buy this stuff. They also want you to be talking about all that kind of stuff as well. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to, to do all of that. And so they I got, want you to advocate in a yes, specific way. Exactly. And it's really hard to advocate and be there for people. Um, people also kind of like feel very entitled to you and your time and your space. And you belong because, to them a little bit. Yeah, because, like, they feel this relationship, but, like, um, that goes this one way because they've spent time with me. I, I did, like, hundreds of hours of YouTube videos and had been on Instagram for a long time and all that kind of stuff. I was very open about chatting and commenting. Like, I, I like that interaction. But I would get some people that definitely that line was blurred for them and they just thought that they were allowed in my my life and in my inbox all the time Mm -hmm. and like to 
to ask me 20 questions and act like they were your friend or your family exactly. and not your audience. Yeah, which exactly. They are. Which is just like, I don't want to make them feel bad for any, but it's like, but you're not actually in my inner circle. It's not realistic yeah. for yeah. anyone. You said what, that your blog had 50,000 followers at some point. So it's yeah. like, how are you, if everybody did this, yeah. And even yeah. if it's not everybody, even if it's that's a lot, 15 people yeah. who send you 20 question emails, yeah. that's hours yeah. for just those once in the week to answer them. Exactly. It's huge. It was it's, a lot amount of time. It like a huge amount of emotional labor that went into it. And um, some people like after we had mentioned, like I posted that we had gotten scammed, they like gave money. And so I guess like... My address was associated with my PayPal account when they gave me money, and people were sending me things to my new address. That is creepy. And it really creeped me out, and that's part of why I kind of fell off blogging, too, is because it just, like, I didn't want to be public anymore like that. I wanted Mm. to be private. I'm like, this is too much. Yeah. it's (laughs) Like, it's one thing if somebody messages you and they're like, hey, um, I live in the area. Um, I want to help you get, like settled in is it okay if i sent you a care package i'm like oh that's really sweet yes here's my address but there were things coming from people that i'm like who is this like all the are they're people that i only know their handles and i don't know their real names and they now sent me something and i'm like what is this that is so strange <laughs> so it's kind of unnerving and i was just like oh boy and so yeah it's um, a lot of responsibility too <laughs> and it's making me think of when you were saying like we we're talking about advocating and the difference between because i want to say i think the fact that you had a blog that you dared to do the content mm. that other people weren't doing, that you made a space for the conversation that you wanted to have yeah. and that you were doing the plus size fashion and the questions and uh, like the videos and all that. Like to me, that is advocacy because yeah. you're using your voice to give room to these topics and to make them important and to allow people to see things and their representation. You don't yeah. need to be, like it is political, but you don't need to be the political advocate that yeah. goes out doing the speeches eloquently, like yeah. you were saying, and that says we should this or we shouldn't that. You yeah. can also just be like, this is how you can do yeah. things as a person without. Yeah. So it's like it is advocating, but then it also becomes a huge responsibility. And I get yeah, it. yeah, yeah. So like if even if like all of those things hadn't all dogpiled, I think I would have left kind of blogging anyway even if like creep people were creepy and didn't have big <laughs> expectations of me and everything i think i just got tired of being the product myself as well um as i said like i'm almost 42 now and i went the longest time without aging a stitch i like, love that. i because these big big cheeks man my mom has big <laughs> cheeks too she's got no wrinkles we like the fat deposits in our face keep us looking young i also think that having tattoos make you look younger too um angle I got lots of tattoos and I got lots of cheek. And so, um, yeah, people would be like, I feel like this belongs on a billboard somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I've got lots of tattoos and I've got lots of cheeks. Lots of cheeks. I don't age. <laughs> so, yeah, I really hadn't aged in a long time. Like, I would get people commenting being like, or like I would say, oh, I'm 36 or whatever. And people like, no way. I think you're 24. I'm like, I know. Thank y'all. And, you know, like I kind of like <laughs> ate it up with a spoon because I loved it. And I didn't age. And I like literally aged so like rapidly from 38 to 40 where, and it's not like I look haggard or anything. It's just my face. You do not. My face changed a lot in two years and it was a lot to take on. And I wasn't recognizing who I was in the camera anymore. And it kind of like 
had my own mm-hmm. mind fuck. And so I'm like, I don't want to be the one in front of the camera all the time anymore. Like speaking of body image and yeah. body positivity or neutrality, yeah. which I actually, it's a concept that I actually love also. Yeah. But like the, it, it's a, it's an interesting limit to put on yourself yeah. saying like, I don't need to like, just because you've used your body to do yeah. your content doesn't mean you have to keep doing it. And yeah. even I feel I liked what you were saying with body neutrality and the same idea is like, mm-hmm. you can try and love everything about yeah. yourself as it is. But I'm also a firm believer of like, if there's something that you just hate yeah. and you can afford to change, change it, it, why not? Why do you have to instead force yourself to try and learn to love yourself as you are? Exactly. Like, I, and I'm not saying that we should try and be other people or yeah. like not try and love ourselves. I yeah. think there's way too much criticism to begin with, but also like, yeah, why? Autonomy is like bodily autonomy is one of the most important things. And it's just like, um, as I mentioned, I had a breast reduction. So I had a breast reduction just six months before we moved here. So I was a um, double M, a 44 double M. I don't even know how to represent that. So mentally. how to represent that would be like <laughs> if you took like um, two volleyballs and had them in a bra. That's kind of what it was close wow. to. They removed 10 pounds of boob off of me. Like it's That's like, insane. Think of that in, in cheese, right? Like... <laughs> That's what I think of. You this got, is why I love you. You brought cheese to the table, yeah, man. Yeah. We're friends. <laughs> think about it. So, like, blocks of cheese often come in a pound. Ten of them. It's of insane. boob that came off of me. So, I got that done. Uh, we found out uh, six weeks after I had my surgery that we were moving here. So, like, 2019 uh, was a very transformative year. It's not year. very long for... Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, we had just found out. And so, I was healing from that, recovering from that surgery before we had to uproot our entire lives and move here. So like, those are all things that added into why my life changed so drastically and why I gave up doing what I was doing at that point. But um, it kind of all worked out for the best. So, cause I feel like Absolutely. my mental health is, is in a good place right now. So, yeah. Yeah. And now you've moved on from the blogging and you yep. are, you, your shop is doing very well. You renamed yeah. it as well. Yes. I think it was last year. Yeah. Just this winter, like in January, mm-hmm. I, I relaunched it as a familiar spirit. Cause I found that I wasn't quite in line with what the moon babe thing was anymore. And I'm like, there's so many other shops that had moon in it. And like, it was, I got an email from somebody being like, your coupon code is not working. And I keep trying it. And I'm like, Oh my I don't God, got no coupon. I'm like, I didn't know I had a coupon code. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm just like, like, I know I've got discount codes set, but they're for different things. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And it was totally a different shop. Yeah. And they had got it confused and they're like, oh my God, my bad. And I'm like, yeah, this is terrible. And so I had really been honing my aesthetic with the shop and and the art that I was making and mm-hmm. kind of the, the vibe that I wanted to evoke. And I'm like, you know, thinking about, I love thinking about branding. And so I'm just thinking about all the branding and I'm like, I want it to feel like, um, it's like an old Victorian ghost. Yeah, or like, I love you know, it. Like it a, is. Ha- a haunted manor. And I'm like, I wanted to have those things, but it was just like, where it's just like, it's not unfamiliar. It's not like, it's not like putting me off. It's familiar. It's warm. It's cozy. It's drawing me to it. And yeah. so, um, yeah. So I renamed a, to a familiar spirit in January. I like just kind of went, or maybe it was February. I just went hard on like redoing up like um, a new logo and all that kind of stuff. And, kind of conceptualizing the direction that I wanted the mm-hmm. brand to go. And yeah, it was, it felt good. It felt like it was the right time to do it. And I'm quite happy with it. Yeah. I feel like what's really interesting with like your whole 
journey. Mm. I always like hesitate to use the word journey because yeah. it feels like it's been like so overused. Yeah. Everything's a journey now, but this is like we went from right from like a costume store yeah. to like your own store exactly. going through logging and piercing. So it is a fucking journey. Yeah. But I think what's really interested and in, interesting to me in here is that you seem to have developed a really good skill to just listen to yourself and to mm -hmm. see like you evolve through the years and you've changed and you learn stuff and like you seem to have gotten really good to catching the cues of when you need to let go of something yeah. to really like kind of almost like molting you know like you yeah. let go of something to really move into what the next yeah. thing needs to be and I feel like even moon babe shop becoming a familiar a familiar spirit is like the example of you were going towards creating things and selling them yeah. you had an idea of your vibe and then once you actually started doing it and you knew you were doing more and more and you're like it yeah. needs to be bigger than that now yeah. and I feel like it's a huge lesson because I think it's it's a lesson that I really struggled with mm -hmm. learning in life and it took me a forever time yeah before I remember even having a moment in therapy telling myself you know what I think from now on I'm giving myself the right of being fluid yes because I had been so in that mainstream sort mm -hmm. of mold idea that we were talking about before it was like oh you have to go to school pick a career study for it go yeah. into it and then move up the ladder yeah. once you're into that career and then one day you retire and that's like kind of life and at yeah. some point I realized that I absolutely hated my job yeah and then when I finally managed to quit that job and turn my career around to something else, I realized all of the like personality elements that I was like forcing into the old job that I didn't want to do or be anymore. Like I could let them go. Yeah. And then the more you do that, the more, you know, you yeah. kind of give yourself good. a chance to explore other things yeah. and grow. And like, I feel that you're a wonderful example of someone <laughs> who's followed that yeah. your entire life. And like by changing, I know we talk a lot about jobs and it's obviously just one of many things that yeah. have moved in your life, but I feel like it's such a, like, it's basically one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast yeah. in the first place is that I'm like, people like you, you did it, you followed your instincts yeah. and sometimes it's really hard and it's really yeah. scary and moving away from your friends being one of the things that's hard and scary, but in the end it just like, look at you, you're yeah. doing great, you're doing something that's super successful and your yeah. blog was successful because you just decided to do it your way. Yeah. Well, I have like an allergic reaction to authority figures, so <laughs> that's part of it. I love it. Yeah, I am... Um, Oh, my husband and I were chatting uh, last week about stuff, just, you know, in general, about bosses and landlords and all that stuff, how I've always railed against. And I just get so, like, my hackles up when it comes yeah. to any kind of person that, like, holds their authority above me. It just bothers me so much that I realize that I'm unemployable. I'm like, I can't just go get a regular job anymore because... You're going to tell your boss they're stupid. I, I will. And I will. Like, I'm the type of person that likes to learn all the rules that I know exactly which ones can be bent and the ones that I can break. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's the whole point of me learning the rules. Not so that I can abide by them, being so that I'm like, which ones can I move around so that I'm comfortable? Yeah. Because this sucks. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel uh, like was, there was a movie at some point. The female character was saying that. I don't. I can't remember the whole <laughs> thing, but it was just, like, basically she had quit her, like, you know, just quit her job yeah. on a on a whim yeah and her her husband was like what are you doing like you can't just keep like if you keep quitting your job you can't like i think she wanted to like buy property or something it's like we can't do that if you keep quitting your job it's like it's not my fault i can't work for idiots you know right? exactly <laughs> it's just the vibes you're giving yeah I love it, it is very strong vibes i find that most bosses are idiots and i'm mm -hmm. like oh i hate you so much and i'm like i have really good ideas and you won't listen to me yeah. because you're so stuck in your this is how things are done. And it's yeah. just like, it, it's just, I need, yeah, to be more 
fluid. I need to be able to spread out and and put my fingers in different directions and to get a feel for different things. So I'm just, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm just completely unemployable now. So I have (laughs) to employ myself. And so that's like my biggest fire is just like keeping things going um, so that I can remain um, unemployable. You know what though? (laughs) I think that's amazing because again, why fit into the mold of society of find a boss, work for a boss, make money the way they want you to make it. And it's like, you got all the skills you needed from yeah. other bosses at some point. Yeah. You learned through a bunch of stuff and now you, you, you got all you yeah. need to do exactly what makes you happy. Yeah. So why not? Right. It's a schedule that suits me and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's fulfilling. So I want to ask like one of those coin questions. Um, what's, what's the best advice you ever got? You would say, Oh, oh my goodness. The best advice I ever got. Oh, I'm not good with these kind of questions. Cause like I have such object impermanence that it's just like, if something isn't right in front of me, yeah. I can't remember it. And I'm just like, Oh my God. Or <laughs> you could also answer the question of what's like, if you were to give like one piece of advice from this whole conversation, what would it be? Uh, well, I like to think of myself as really good at giving advice. I love giving advice to people. Um, but said the blogger. Right, said the blogger, exactly. I'm like, let me tell you all about it. Usually, it's just like, I just, I always need somebody to just put me in a direction. And then I'm like, okay, now I know where I'm going. So I would say if it comes to um, exploring your creativity and, um, and just betting on yourself, is I'm not a gambling person. Mm-hmm. I do not like to gamble. I've never bought myself a lottery ticket. I have bought some scratch cards for presents before on instruction from somebody. That is the closest <laughs> the to gambling I do. Gambling. Um, but I realized that in my job that I do now, I gamble on myself every single day. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to gamble, gamble on yourself. It's the only person to do it with. And the stakes are high, but the payout is also higher so i i gamble on myself all the time i like product development you get an idea in your head and you're like i think that'd be really cool Mm -hmm. you have no idea if other people are going to think that's really cool but you're like i need to make it so you make it just bet on yourself and give yourself the room to try it not everything's going to pay off because that's the nature of gambling but you will find that you're you're in the black more than the red when you're gambling on yourself. Mm-hmm. So um, bet on yourself. That is my advice. That's great. Um, so this seems like a good place to sort of wrap it up. Would yeah. you like to uh, tell everyone where they can find you or your shop? Or Yeah, you can find me online. Um, everything is either under A Familiar Spirit or Margot Meany. I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. I'm even on TikTok now, which, you know, I'm in my 40s. It took me a while to get on TikTok. Oh, but they have an account and they have no videos. Oh, I... <laughs> I'm on there now. I post now. I'm actually, I started actually posting because it's important to diversify your, your platforms. Yeah. Cause that's something that's really important. That's another good piece of advice is if you're going to be doing something creative and you want to get noticed, um, don't put all your eggs in one basket because mm-hmm. Instagram could get shut down. No problem. You yeah, could look get at Twitter. I mean, right? X. I mean, what? Right. I mean, what? <laughs> right. People, it's so easy. Or you could just get locked out of your account. You could get hacked, anything like that. And then it's so, yeah, I have 60,000 followers on one of my accounts. And if uh, I get hacked one day, I have no access to that anymore. And if I 
only had all of my eggs in one basket, that would be devastating. But I also have people on my Facebook page. There's like 14,000 people there and I've got 12,000 on my shop one. Mm-hmm. And so TikTok is the one that I'm building up now. And I'm just finally starting to post to it because like, you never know what the algorithm changes, how everything is, everything is so fluid is just like hedge your bets by by posting something on each platform, seeing which ones you like. I've never been good at Twitter, so I've never been good at that one. But I did start with threads and I've been posting there for like I make sure mm-hmm. to go in once a day to post on threads and go interact with people. And that's building up, too. So just find like you don't have to be on every single platform, but try and be on three or four of them. The ones that suit whatever. Right? You're doing. The ones that suit you and is an audience that's being attracted to you. Go on them. Just check them out. Don't let them collect dust. Make sure that you're posting regularly. I've definitely been guilty of like letting my Facebook page sit for a couple of weeks <laughs> where I'm like, oh, I haven't posted anything. And so it's like you don't always have to be posting just like here's my shop. You want to be posting things that people want to um want to interact with so like memes quizzes little weird things that you can do where it's just like i'll post like four houses and be like which house would you want to live in yeah and what would the name of your ghost be Ah, that's the best one and it's just like you know kind of (laughs) what's the name of your ghost the one that turned out to be birds yeah birds yeah right mortimer starling (laughs) (laughs) excellent that is a great advice yeah so yeah, that's uh yeah, you can find me online. I'm on all the socials. Um and yeah, I'm perm like terminally online actually. Eternally online. Yeah, I'm like <laughs> my iPad would be my Barbie accessory. <laughs> Margolini comes with yeah. the iPad. A water tumbler and an iPad. Also three cats. Stay hydrated, my friends. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming today and for the beautiful interview and uh I'll see you around, neighbor. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye.